What is the dog doing? I don't know. She just... <laughs> uh, she pushed open the door with her nose. <laughs> yeah. Good Lord. Well, she knows we're talking about pet sounds, and what does pet sounds feature at the end? Pets. A beagle. Well, yeah. A little beagle named Banana. Yeah. <laughs> So, what are we doing here? This is episode nine. Wow. Yeah. Of uh, Tune X podcast. And um, for a change, this time I am Sean. And I'm Lisa. Wait, that's not a change at all, actually. My, my fault. Um, before we get any further, I just wanted to follow up on something that I mentioned before. I don't remember what episode it was, but I was talking about how the 1990 slash probably 2001 twofer of Party and Stack O Tracks, there are a couple of tracks you can hear the vocals bleed through, and at the very end of Little Saint Nick, suddenly the vocals come through 100%. So it's as if they forgot that this was supposed to be instrumental only, and I had wondered aloud if that was only on that particular issue, because on the original pressing, they were different mixes. It was all duophonic, but on the reissue, it's in stereo. I am happy to announce that I recently listened to our vintage vinyl copy of Stacko Tracks and can now say that the leakage is on that too. Ooh. Which makes me wonder why did not Mark Lynette fix that? Or would that just be way too. It's bad, bad enough that he put it in stereo and all the horror. <sighs> so, how have you been? Oh, just ducky. Yeah. Yeah, me too. Okay, we got that part out of the way. Um, so we are here now, and I, I realize that our previous episodes, we've had the Brian TNT tribute. The previous episode from this one, episode eight, we talked about the Beach Boys Love You. Lately, we've been talking a lot about Brian. The Beach Boys Love You, let's face it, is really a Brian solo album. More so than, say, Pet Sounds, I'd argue. And it's basically been a lot of Brian from this podcast. That's not the intention necessarily, but at the same time, it's hard to talk about the Beach Boys without a lot of focus on Brian. Well, let's be honest. We are what people in the fan community call the Brianistas. Yeah, I, I mean, guess it's, so. It's like when you look at a lot of Beach Boys fan forums and discussion, a lot, not all, but a lot of the fans are kind of there for Brian. Like they got into and the same thing with us. You yeah. get into the Beach Boys first, but then you kind of stray on the path of Brian because face it, there would be no Beach Boys if it weren't for Brian's production work and his experimentation in many different ways. You could take that how you want it. This is um, true. <laughs> and he really led the way. I mean, he had a great deal of help. He didn't do it alone, but it's kind of, you can't talk about the Beach Boys without talking about Brian, but I get what you're saying. Yeah. It's not all about Brian, and there's significant contributions by the other band members. I mean, yeah, we will sometime be having an episode focused on Dennis, for example. Yes, as we, we have, should. We have Pacific Ocean Blue in our music collection, the 2008 reissue. We have Carl's two solo albums from the 80s. We have uh, Al's albums. We went to see an Al show a few years ago. And in 2019, after we saw the current lineup calling themselves the Beach Boys, I liked that Here Comes the Sun version they did so much that I actually bought it. I actually bought Mike's version of Here Comes the Sun because I really liked the arrangement. But you no longer have a copy of Looking Back with I, Love. That, I, <laughs> I could not hold on to it. <laughs> Literally. I have, a, I have a story about that that I'll tell another time because yeah. we just want to get to the focus here. The reason that I wanted to point that out is because we noticed it ourselves. But just bear with us if you're sick of hearing us talking about Brian because this episode, well, it's May. What's the obvious thing you got to talk about for May? Pet sounds. Pet sounds, which because, is... Because May 16th yeah. is a national holiday known as yeah. Pet Sounds Day. 
Basically, we're going to focus on something very specific about pet sounds that it's another thing that you're probably not going to hear on another podcast or read about anywhere else because it's so unique to us. But before we get into that, uh, we were talking about discussing a little bit about the 1990 CD, which, which is the first time in America you could get domestically pet sounds on CD. And yeah, I know there's the 1988 Japanese CD, and I have a theory about that. I don't know if it's 100% true, because I didn't have the time or unlaziness to research this. But I know before, say, the Beatles had all their albums on CD in 1987, 1988, there was an Abbey Road CD on the Toshiba label from Japan. And uh, a lot of people said uh, probably until 2009, and I'm sure there are some people who say even now, that was the definitive Abbey Road CD. Mm. And it really did sound a lot better than the uh, official Apple CD in 1987. But the thing about that was Toshiba did not have a CD master for it. They essentially did not have the rights to release it on CD, so they used the master they had for the cassette so I'm wondering if the same situation happened with uh, the Japanese Pet Sound CD hmm. in 1988, because why were they the only country that got it? I'm wondering if maybe they released it and Capital went over to them and said, uh-uh, 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 and maybe that's why it's not exactly the most easiest CD to find. Well, the fact is, we got a beautiful Pet Sounds release in 1990 with an extensive booklet with liner notes and sessionography uh, by David Leaf. And let's talk about kind of what I think is the most significant thing about that Pet Sounds booklet. Mm -hmm. Well, there was, you know, a little white card insert that had an interview with Paul McCartney. Oh, yes. I mean, this is something that the fans hold up to this day, where Paul McCartney, and, and I don't know if he had ever talked about this before on record, but he discussed how much he loved the Pet Sounds album. He said he bought it for his children as part of their musical education. Yep. He talked about how the song God Only Knows could move him to tears, and he's reiterated this over the years. I mean, he cited the same thing when he inducted Brian into the Songwriters Hall of Fame. He talked about that. Yes. And it kind of felt like the hand of God. (laughs) You can't get a bigger endorsement than a Beatle. Yeah. So it was justification that, yeah, this was something really special. And this was something that as much as you could love other Beach Boys music, this just sets it apart as Pet Sounds was just groundbreaking. Now, did he also talk in that about how, was that the interview where he said how Pet Sounds, I mean, we know Pet Sounds was inspired by Rubber Soul, but that Pet Sounds then pushed the Beatles into what became Sgt. Pepper. I'm pretty sure he did talk about that. And I'm pretty sure he did. And speaking of which, I know I was talking about this with you before, but when I first looked at that CD when I got it for a Christmas present on Christmas Eve 1990. I was going through the liner notes. This was my first ever Beach Boys CD, too. And I thought, this is the Sgt. Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band CD reskinned for mm. Pet Sounds because it had the same kind of vibe. And I knew, even though I didn't have any of them yet, I knew that the other Beach Boys albums were different. They were two-on-one CDs. But this one, Pet Sounds, stuck out, was basically given its own special, unique treatment, just as Sgt. Pepper's was when the Beatles albums came out back in 1987. even more so because the Beatles CDs, except for Sgt. Pepper, didn't even have any kind of booklet. You didn't even have the back cover artwork. For the most part, yeah. You only had just the front cover and that's it, which is really kind of stunning when you think about it. Yeah, really. And it was that way until 2009. Yep. So it's kind of stunning that Apple did such a flimsy job, or in the using a word I always associate with George Harrison, chintzy, (laughs) (laughs) 
I mean, it really was chintzy, where the Beach Boys definitely got a much better treatment. Oh, yeah. With the Capitol albums, at least, that they were put out in the two furs with a nice booklet for each pairing and the really cool little Capitol swirl logo on the yeah. uh, backing on the disc itself. And at the time, I mean, I agree with you that Pet Sounds kind of got a Sgt. Pepper treatment in that it was a single CD release. It wasn't paired with anything. The Christmas CD also had that treatment. However, that makes sense because the Christmas CD was only going to be put out in stores during the holidays. And they didn't go all out with pages of liner notes on that, did they? Um, I don't think so. I mean, there might be a little bit of a booklet, but I don't think it's anything. I don't really remember spending much time with it when Ultimate Christmas came out. That has a pretty significant booklet, but yeah. But that's okay. I mean, it's it's a Christmas CD. Those are kind of a separate entity, but the fact is Pet Sounds was the only non-holiday CD that didn't get the two for treatment because it couldn't. <laughs> I yeah, mean, the really. only the only thing you could ever pair it with would have been Smile, but Smile yeah. didn't happen. <laughs> yeah. It would be quite jarring to pair it with Smiley Smile, for example. Oh, God. Oh, uh, goodness. <laughs> uh, sorry, kids. I'm not a fan of Smiley Smile. <laughs> I'm not a fan, but I do appreciate it. I enjoy it. You don't enjoy it, though, so we should no, get that distinction no, across between the two no, of us. I don't. We mentioned David Leaf earlier. One thing I, I want to call out here. Uh, First of all, this is coming up because, as anybody listening to this probably already knows, it's been announced that a updated version of David Leaf's Beach Boys book is coming out later this year. We already put in our pre-order for the British version because it's coming out sooner. Yeah, that's coming out in June, and I think the U.S. issue is coming out in the fall sometime. And I know that online there's been discussion about how, in the past at least, David has been kind of leaning on the Brian side, kind of <laughs> emphasizing the Brian side. Gee. And one thing I do want to say is that if you look through not just the Pet Sounds liner notes from uh, the 90s and then when, when it was all reissued in 2001, but all of the twofers, you'll see a lot of vocals misattributed. Misattributed? Did I say that right? Yeah, I'm not a pronunciation key. Uh, anyway, like a lot of vocals that were credited to Brian were actually from other vocalists. And in the Pet Sounds liner notes, that's not any different because I know there's an answer. If I'm not mistaken, David Leaf's notes said that Brian and Mike sang that. The thing is, I don't think it was David Leaf being Brian lenient. Brian, no, I, Brian leaning. I mean, it me. could very well be that David Leaf was just going by ear. He's going, yeah, and exactly. He did not have access to detailed sessionographies that we have now. Like he didn't have that unsurpassed masters volume 13 or 14 <laughs> or whatever, when it's clearly Al in the booth, but I don't know about you, but for years, I thought too, that that, that was Brian singing. I know there's an answer. Uh, mm-hmm. the, I'm talking the verses. It wasn't until definitely after you and I met probably after we got married when I'm listening to it, And I thought, wait a minute, that's Al. That's freaking Al singing that. Well, yeah, because Al is almost a little bit of a chameleon in that in some ways he can sound pretty close to like Brian's mid range, Mm -hmm. which of course is definitely a plus because I'm sure Brian utilized him at times that maybe he didn't feel like singing or he wasn't available or he just wanted what Al brought to the table. There's something unique about the Beach Boys, though, in general, because it wasn't just Al, but Louie Louie, I always thought was Brian singing lead. Mm-hmm. It's freaking Carl. Yeah. It's Carl. And think about this, something else. We've talked about how there are times when you can't tell that it's actually Mike singing. Mm-hmm. Like how shocked you were when you realized that aren't Mike was- Aren't you glad? Aren't you glad? Exactly. Yep. Because I, I don't you expect- never, You never heard him sound so smooth. Yeah. And- kind of bringing us back to Pet Sounds, that God Only Knows version that's on Disc 5 of the Good Vibrations box set, we thought for ages that that was Brian, especially since it was kind of rough. So we thought it was Brian doing a guide vocal, but it's actually Carl. Like When you really listen to it, you hear Carl's quality. The roughness might be that Carl was, it might have just been a rehearsal or a run-through that happened to be recorded. 
and or well, it's just double tracked, but well, that's because Brian double tracked everything. Oh, that's true. Brian probably double tracked his answering machine message. Okay, that's true. So- yeah. Wrong element. Yeah, Brian is gonna blow his mind when he hears about this. I leave the number after me. Yeah, so I mean, I'm not going to fault David Lee for things like that because <laughs> he just may simply not have had access to that information, or there may have been deadlines from Capitol, and yeah. he didn't, he wasn't able to do the research that other people have been able to do over the years. So, quite I'm not honestly, gonna... if I were tasked for the same thing back then, I would have put the exact same things he did. And... Oh, the other mic thing too. This is also a pet sounds thing. All this time that many of us, including me. Including myself. Ba, 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 ba. How many of us thought that Mike was singing that? <laughs> Hands up. It's Brian. It's Brian. It's Brian. Mike basic- is not on that on that session no. at all. It's basically Brian imitating Mike's style. Yeah. He was making it sound like Mike, but yeah. it's Brian doing it, which is just brilliant. <laughs> yeah, it was, yeah, the only Beach Boys on that were Brian, Carl, and Bruce. And that's yeah. it. Yeah. So Brian has sounded like Mike. Oh, when we were listening to uh, Feel Flows, and there was that uh, version of Back Home that none of us had ever heard before. I only found out, not probably about a month ago, that was Mike singing it. I thought it was Al. Yeah. So th- these Beach okay. Boys, they sound so much like each other. I thought Carl was singing We're Together Again. It's Dennis, just to prove my point, which is yeah. that the Beach Boys have such a unique sound because they all sound like each other at different times. Or they knew how to sound like each or, other. Or, or that too, yeah. So, pet sounds. Pet sounds, <laughs> yeah. So the 1990 CD, that was the first time I ever gave it a real listen. I had heard the Carl and the Passion So Tough version of Pet Sounds before that. Didn't like it. Heard the Pet Sounds CD in the dark with headphones. So you can hear everything, and as I could hear Brian everything. says. Seven years later, Brian said that. It's like, that son of a bitch was right. <laughs> yep. Well, we we got it right. We got it right. Yeah, that's true. Because I also yeah. heard it that way the same night, Christmas of 1990. I still remember I was listening to it because my grandmother had come to stay over. So she slept in my mom's bed. My mom slept in my room. And I was on the couch, which I was fine with because we had a really comfy couch. And this way I could stay up as late as I wanted to watch TV without disturbing anybody. And I had my CD boom box that I had gotten for my as a high school graduation gift, which was a big deal back then. Yeah. Because that was, I was one of the first people I knew who got a CD player. And in fact, one of the first CDs I got for it, because I got it as a graduation present, and I was having a graduation party, and I called up my friend uh, Susan, who lived near the mall, and said, hey, on your way over, could you stop and get a copy of Endless Summer? So she picked that up for me. And in fact, I when I tried to pay her for it, she said, oh, no, it, this is part of your gift. <laughs> But I listened to that, and I I had turned off all the lights except the Christmas tree, which was, yeah, I highly recommend that <laughs> as a way to listen to pet sounds. But uh, my first pet sounds really had been several years earlier when I got some records for Christmas, and one of them was the Capital Mono reissue of Pet Sounds. This would have been probably around 1986. So that's what I had been listening to, but I was glad to finally have it on CD. At the risk of repeating myself from a previous episode, which I might be doing, but yeah, Christmas Eve 1990, got my first CD player ever. I had been basically nagging people about how much I wanted a CD player for months, and my dad always said, oh, CDs are expensive. You'll break yourself just buying music. And of course, if you do the math, considering that, say, at Crow's Nest, CDs were thirteen ninety eight a pop and two albums per CD mm-hmm. with bonus tracks, and you compare that to the cassettes that were out of the Beach Boys with one album per tape with some mm-hmm. songs missing, and they were costing seven ninety nine. Come on, man. And that tapes break. Tapes break, yeah. Tapes break. CD, CDs also yeah, have but their you problems have to, if, you, if you don't store them properly. Yeah, if you don't take care of them, 
and you let them get all scratched up and whatever. Yep. Yeah, but I mean, it's wicked hard to just break a CD. Micro Rant here, the first CD I ever bought, even before I had a CD player, it was a Beatles CD. It was only seven bucks at uh, at a record time. It was one of the Tony Sheridan reissues. I still have it. I listen to it every year from start to finish. It still plays back yeah. perfectly. Whereas with cassettes, just yeah. simply using them properly they're going to let you down. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but yeah, I was. it was Christmas Eve. My first CD player came from Sharp Electronics, where my brother worked at the time, so I'm sure he was able to get one for cheap. And in the box was Pet Sounds, The White Album, and Paul McCartney's Tripping the Live Fantastic Highlights. I had been, I never said it out loud, but I had been wanting to give Pet Sounds a second chance. So I was really excited well, to see that. Well, aren't you glad you did? I am so glad. It, that was what, as soon <laughs> as uh, we were all done exchanging gifts and we were getting to, getting into bed, I hooked up the CD player to my sound design unit and everybody was already in bed. I turned the lights out, put the headphones in and mm-hmm. just the lights from the uh, the CD player and the sound design and I was just lying there thinking O M F G. That means holy cow by the way. Oh yeah. And it predicted my future, really. And I'm sure everybody can say that who's had that experience. Well, hey, there's a reason why in the movie Almost Famous, when, oh God, what's the main character? I know the actor's name is Patrick. William. William. When William opens his sister's uh, flight bag. We're never going to learn the sister's name. And played see, by Zoe Deschanel. And sees when she left her records for him and he's flipping through them. Those are Cameron Crowe's personal records. Yeah. And he kept, in different takes, he would change the order of the records, just for whatever reason he had that these were the records that William was seeing. And from what I understand, Pet Sounds was always the first record. So when he unzips the bag, that is the first record that you see. It's like... Wow. <laughs> yeah, I read that every order he tried, Pet Sounds Indeed, was first. Now, we've been talking about just random, for, well, not random, but we've been preambling for about 25 minutes now. Yeah. So why don't we start talking about the real reason we're bringing up Pet Sounds? Well, yeah, and something that is not part of other fans' experience, that we were fortunate enough to actually perform Pet Sounds. Yeah. Thanks to our class at the Old Town School of Folk Music. I think what we should do is give as briefly as possible an explanation of what the Old Town School of Folk Music okay. is. So the Old Town School of Folk Music is an institution that's been in Chicago since the late 1950s. It started in people's living rooms, people getting together to play guitars and sing folk songs. Folk music was a big deal in the 1950s. And it became eventually a, uh, I think they had a couple rooms in a building on North Avenue in Chicago where- In the Old Town neighborhood. In the Old Town neighborhood where you could take guitar lessons there and they had different singing ensembles and just people celebrating folk music and the traditions and the history of it. And then in uh, the late 60s, they were able to purchase a larger building in the uh, Lincoln Park neighborhood, so a little bit up from Old Town, but they kept the name where they had a performance space and classrooms and eventually opened a little music store there. And then that building is still used for the Old Town School, but in, I believe it was around 2000, they were able to open up in a much larger space in the Lincoln Square neighborhood, a building that had been a Chicago public library branch that was replaced by a larger, more modern branch up the street. So this new facility had a pretty significant theater, room for dance studios and all different sizes of classrooms, um, everything from just spaces where you could have private lessons to larger ensembles. And it's a great facility. And then in, I think it was about maybe 10 years ago, They built another building across the street that had more performance space, more classrooms. They have a cafe. There's a music store. So it's an institution that has been around in Chicago for a long time just to provide a place where people can play music, learn music. They have classes for 
all eight, and I do mean all ages, you can bring your infant to what's called the Wiggle Worms program that has programs to just start teaching babies about rhythm and, you know, where they just bounce around, I guess, and then little kids can bang on drums. And that starts a lifelong interest in music. And uh, I found a couple of years ago, I saw posted, I think the Old Town School posted a picture that somebody had found in their archives of um, some moms and babies in a Wiggle Worms class. One of them was our future First Lady, Michelle Obama. Really? Yes. I did not know she I've, was in Wiggle Worms, did I? Yeah, because it was with, uh, I think it was with Malia, when Malia was probably oh, okay, like a year okay. or two old. I thought you old. said Michelle was in. I thought, no, Michelle, Michelle Obama I was, like, was, was no, 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 no. <laughs> no, Michelle Obama brought Malia, who is her older daughter, when she was probably one or two years old. Wow. So this was before... Probably before Barack Obama was even involved in politics. Yeah, right, right. And, and uh, just to uh, throw a few more names out there, just to show you how legit this place is. Other former students of the Old Town School, Jim Roger McGuinn. Mm-hmm. Uh, who else? Well, uh, that, John, uh, well was- Roger McGuinn attended high school at the Latin School of Chicago, which was just um, oh yeah, just up the street from the original Old Town School location. And that's where he took guitar lessons after school. Yeah, he uh, mentioned the Old Town School. In fact, that how I first heard of the Old Town School was when he mentioned it on his uh, Live from Mars album from the 90s. And I wondered, why the hell I never heard of that place? And I still <laughs> wonder, well, because I grew up in the suburbs. Yeah. And uh, let's see, I think, was John Prine a student there? I think he was. I think he was too. If not, he I know he taught there. Yeah, he was an institution there. Uh, Steve Goodman, and if you never heard of Steve Goodman, because I think he's more a Chicago celebrity mm-hmm. than anything else, he wrote a little song that Arlo Guthrie recorded called The City of New Orleans. Yes. yes. And I think Jeff Tweedy might have had a lot of involvement there too. Yeah. Pretty much anybody who is in music who grew up in Chicago or spent a significant time here, probably crossed paths with the Old Town School at some time or another. But the thing that's really beautiful that I value about the Old Town School is that they welcome everybody. They have financial aid for people who can't afford a class. They can work out something with you so that you can take classes. They have free events that people can participate in that are starting to come back. A lot of them were canceled because of the pandemic, but there are things that are coming back. So hopefully we'll see things like the Thursday night Hoot Nanny, which is just a big music circle where people bring their instruments and sit in the main lobby and just play whatever they want to play from the Old Town School's extensive folk music songbook. And, uh, Pretty standard stuff like, uh, will the circle be unbroken? Or, oh, and when yeah. summer happens, when summer starts up, they break out wild mountain time <laughs> because, um, oh, the summer. And they have, but it's it's a place where people can explore instruments that they may not have otherwise, like taking mandolin. Remember or, that time when they were pimping their oud classes? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and they set things up basically to make it accessible. I mean, I took their guitar class because eventually, unless you already know guitar, you eventually take guitar at the Old Town School. And the very first lesson on the very first night, we learned several chords and our teacher's like, okay, now you know the same chords that many garage bands who have had hit records know. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and didn't she say, okay, now you can play any Ramones song? Yeah, yeah, pretty much. But it's really a wonderful, friendly place that I, I truly value. I've learned things there that I never thought I could do because I was never really encouraged to pursue music when I was a kid. I was told, oh, you can't sing or what are you doing this for? But at the Old Town School, you can do it. You can try it. You can take dance classes there, even if you don't have prior dance experience. If you're not a traditional dancer, like the, a traditional body type or age, like if you want to take a ballet class and you've never taken ballet and you're in your 60s, they have a class for you. Mm-hmm. They have it's called Ballet Light and Easy, where you learn the basics and you you feel like you're a ballerina. 
in the New York City Ballet in that class. It's wonderful. I'll take your word for it because I never <laughs> took it. And we're not getting any kickback from no. the Little they're, they're a nonprofit. So we just appreciate we it. Lo- we, I love that. We've place had so great much. experiences there. And I really have great admiration for the vibe that the teachers provide, that they are welcoming, encouraging. You're not expected to be an expert. You're not expected to be perfect. And I mean, yeah, unless even in the classes that are for more advanced students, it's still very warm and welcoming. So we've taken, we've each taken a number of different classes there, but we came about to ensemble classes because there was an instructor who first started offering a monkeys ensemble. And it's like, Take my money. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. The ensemble classes, if you, those of you who've ever been to Beetlefest, think about the big sing alongs they have yeah. at Beetlefest. The ensemble classes are kind of like that. And in yeah, a way. Ens- ensemble classes usually focus on either a particular artist or a genre. Like yeah. there's a soul ensemble, there's oftentimes a prince ensemble. One of the most longest running ensembles is the Grateful Dead ensemble and Beatles ensemble. <laughs> and Beatles ensemble. That was my first class there. So, A lot of it just depends on either what the teacher wants to offer or going by student interest and suggestion. So in the Monkees Ensemble, just talk progressed and we ended up making it the Beach Boys Ensemble for a couple sessions. Yeah, because a lot of us were fans and we we come to find out. So we had had several rounds of, because each class meets for eight weeks with Mm -hmm. usually some type of performance near the end. And either the ones arranged by the school or you can do your own performance. But we came about to having a pet sounds focused session. Now, one thing that we should mention, though, is while a typical ensemble, a typical class at the Old Town School is eight weeks for Beach Boys Ensemble, Kathy made it 16 weeks because... Brian can't write a simple arrangement to save yeah, his cause, life. Yeah, because it's like, this stuff is hella hard. And yeah. like several of our regulars are people who are very skilled and experienced at playing guitar. Mm-hmm. They would put their guitars aside for yeah. <laughs> Beach Boy sessions. Yeah, they're like, yeah, we can't play and sing at the same time. Well, no yeah, way. because I mean, when you're in Monkeys Ensemble, you're going to have songs that are like G, C, D7. <laughs> Then, oh, yeah, yeah, that's but I'm then a in, But then in... And Last Train to Clarksville. It's like all of them. And then, <laughs> But then in Beach Boys Ensemble, you're going to have... You'll have like an R13 minor 7. Augmented. Yes, yes. <laughs> yeah, you have like chords that only exist in Brian's head. You know, and, and you have like double sharps and double flats and all kinds of weirdness. So, yeah, it's... Uh, It's challenging material. And to kind of go off the Pet Sounds thing for just a moment, one of the hardest musical experiences I I ever had in my entire life was Heroes and Villains. Girl, same. It's that we worked on, I think we worked on just Heroes and Villains for 16 weeks. I mean, that song has so many moving parts. I mean, we did it. We did and it, it was wonderful, but it it took a tremendous amount of work to make it happen. Because I remember, yeah, that was another example. Like Greg would not play drums on that track; he just took a shaker and <laughs> stepped up to the microphone and did the the yeah the baritone part. Because that there was way there's so much going on in that. Yeah, and I I'll never forget that performance because I think every single one of us messed up. Well, the first time because we we performed it in front of people twice, and yeah, the first time was pretty disastrous. Yeah, <laughs> we did the in the cantina part, and for that I was playing a chromatic harmonica. So we get to that, I pick up my harmonica, and I realize, oh crap, I'm holding it upside down. Those of you who don't know or haven't seen a chromatic harmonica, a chromatic harmonica has a button on the side so you can play like sharps and flats and everything. So you can play every note in the Western music scale. It's understandable holding a standard 10 hole diatonic harp upside down, but a chromatic harmonica has a button on one side (laughs) of it. It is impossible to hold it upside down. 
I freaking held it upside down. And you're like, and I'm like, okay, oh, and I'm fumbling with it. Oh my God, I got to flip it over, count the holes and all this. And meanwhile, everybody is looking at me <laughs> because they're waiting for my cue. Yeah, that it's like, oh, it my was, goodness. but fortunately, the thing about pet sounds is it wasn't as hard that as you would shocking. think. Yeah. It was still challenging. Don't yeah. get me wrong. Yeah. And it's needed still, two 16 week courses on that. We actually had a performance of it on June 18th. Yes, 2016. And we started working on it in January. Yeah. So we spent basically four months, and then we also had some additional rehearsals outside of class time. Yeah. But it came together a lot easier than I thought it would. Me too, yeah. I I agree. I don't know what it was. I mean... I remember when we were at Abbey Road on the river and we were talking to the guys in the, there was a band called uh, Sounds of Summer, which was a four piece Beach Boys cover band. And mm-hmm. they did a pretty wide variety too. And we talked to them after their performance and we were telling them, yeah, we're going to be doing pet sounds in a couple of months. And they said, oh my God, are you kidding? <laughs> They're like, yeah, good luck with that. I mean, it worked. It somehow did. Yeah. And it was, I mean, it was beautiful to work with this literature. I mean, yeah, it like you you felt like you were working with sacred texts. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it also helped that we were familiar with the literature. We didn't have to be taught the songs. We just had to work on how to play them. And like how who, and which parts we were going like, to sing. Yeah, like working on singing parts and who does what. I mean, what helps I think with God with the uh, well, not just God only knows, but with pet sounds in general is that And it's kind of interesting that Brian's key work did not have a tremendous amount of deep vocal harmonies, because that's part of what made Heroes and Villains so hard, is that we had not just soprano, alto, tenor, baritone, but those different levels were split into multiple parts. There was a lot of polyphony on on Heroes and Villains. And and that's why I think we're never going to do the Sunflower stuff unless we can get like 64 (laughs) people in class. Because if you listen to that Feel Flows set, you're going to hear like five completely different parts in four-part harmony each. Well, yeah, because they had much more sophisticated equipment and had more tracks to play with. So it's not so much that they had more singers, it's just Brian and other people who were yeah. producing tracks because it wasn't just Brian there. And the fact that Brian had his own studio meant they could record whenever they wanted. Yeah. So with Pet Sounds, you don't have as much layers of harmony. Yeah. And I think that's what made, and in fact, some songs, you know, like Caroline No yeah. and Don't Talk, Put Your Head on My Shoulder, there's no harmony at all. Yeah, we didn't We didn't do the unreleased backgrounds thing. Did no, we, we? didn't. I, I didn't no. think so, yeah. And I mean, for those songs, it was just several of us singing together, but we didn't split, you know, we didn't try to create our own harmony parts or yeah. anything like that. So the singing was actually a lot easier than other Beach Boys material, like say, Our Prayer. <laughs> our pra- I thought Our Prayer was easy. Yeah, because your part was easy. Oh not yeah, you the, had the weird part. Not the alto. Yeah, the, <laughs> the if you're in alto and you have to sing Our Prayer, just get in your car and drive away. <laughs> yeah, because my part was like, ah, and yours was like, ah. Yeah, yeah there's all kinds of stuff going on there. <laughs> Somebody must have pissed off Brian that day <laughs> yeah. for him to put an alto part together like that unless he was singing it and then yeah right you know it's like he doesn't care how hard it is but Good uh grief and it was kind of great how we all could bring different things to the table different instruments and effects like we went and bought a bike horn and a yep. bike bell for yep. you still believe in me <laughs> yeah the bike bell was almost a hundred percent on key with the recording yeah. We couldn't find a horn that was, though, so there was a little trick I discovered where if you put your middle finger in just the right yeah. place in the bell, it would be just the right note, but you also had to be standing in just the right position, and Mercury had to be aligned with Venus yeah. in the proper way, or else it would ha- it would kind of squeak instead, because you were originally doing that, and what we found was if we just re- rehearsed like individual sections like for like like a 30-second segment, 
it would play fine. Yeah. But when we'd run through the entire song, it would not. Yeah. For some reason, the horn would not <laughs> sound. And it's like, what the hell? And it wasn't just me. Yeah. Because other people tried it and they couldn't get it to go either. Yeah. Because right before we performed that, you handed it to me and said, you're doing this. Yeah. And I was like, but I'm playing, I'm playing guitar in this. <laughs> And you said, nope, nope, just put your guitar down for this. <laughs> and it, it turned out, I was using my acoustic 12-string, and I thought it was way out of tune all of a sudden. Yeah. So I was like, yeah, screw it. I'm not playing that 12-string tonight. But yeah, I mean, we had glockenspiel. We yeah. had we had ukulele. We had a guy with a digital mellotron for some of the orchestral parts that we couldn't do. We had a lady on viola. Yes, yes. So that was a big help there. I think we only had the one bass, though. Yeah. And... Those who didn't play, actually, I think everybody played something. Yeah. Uh, we had, what are the little finger bells? That's not a, cla- a castanet, is it? No, castanets make the clicky, the clicky sounds. Sound. Oh, that's right, yeah. The little, like, finger symbols. Yeah, the finger symbol, at, like, how Jen had to play that, like, every eight. Yeah. It came, it's like, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, ding. ding. <laughs> Yeah. And I could I could tell that she was like, okay, don't screw this. I could look at her well, face. We were all very, very don't, focusing. We were all very don't screw this up. I mean, yeah. my thing when we had our performance, I had had a bit of an allergy thing that week. Yeah. And I was much improved, but as anybody who's had seasonal allergies that affect your upper respiratory system, when it's kind of going away. It goes down into like your throat and your lungs. So you might be still coughing or you might have like a scratchy voice, but you feel fine. Like you're not sick. You're almost better, but you still sound not great. And here I was going to have to sing because I was singing lead on two songs. And I was kind of scared that my voice was just simply going to give out on me because at that time, just talking normally, my voice would drop out. And were you singing lead alone though, or did you have a singing buddy I like most of us did? I don't know. I don't remember, but still, I didn't want to like. If you're singing with somebody and your voice drops out, then that's just that person by them. It's still noticeable, but it's not and quite as atrocious as like. So I was, or else you're going to get Paul singing "If I Fell in Stereo." <laughs> Beatles fans know so, what I'm talking about there. So I was, I was kind of nervous about it. But before the performance, I thought, wait a minute, this is Pet Sounds. Pet Sounds is not going to let me down. Pet Sounds is going to protect me. Did it? Yes. Because I was able, because one thing I was really afraid of was, and that's not me, that little high part near the end. I thought I wasn't going to be able to, I thought it was just going to come out like a croak. And, and I did it. And it's like, yeah, Pet Sounds was there for me. Yeah, I I think I messed up the guitar riff on one of the on one of the iterations because I had my treasured Rickenbacker twelve string and I broke out for that song. And I think I like ding ding. Oh no! I once had a dream, so I packed up and split for the city. And I even had the the fretboard marked with a label maker just so I wouldn't do that. <laughs> I think I still, oh my God, I think I still have those labels on there too. I'll have to double. Most of us had singing buddies. I don't think any of us really sang anything alone for that particular. Oh, actually, no. Um, I might have sang the mic part of Sloop John B by myself. I don't know. I, for one, I think I sounded terrible on that because I could tell I wasn't sounding good when I sang it because I. I felt like I was singing it as if someone were smacking me in the back at the same time. Okay, <laughs> okay, okay. You're always putting yourself down. What's something in Pet Sounds that you did that was good and that you liked? Let's talk oh about God. that. Pick the, something. Oh, that's easy. That is really easy. Uh, I made a mistake, but that's okay. Nobody's going to notice. It might okay, have sounded like an artistic Okay, stop talking about decision. mistakes. Talk about something good. Yeah, it was... I got to do the the lead guitar on the title track. I was very lucky to do that. I am not a lead guitar player at all. I sat down for weeks, hours on end, playing along with the uh, the backing track that's on the Pet Sound Sessions. It doesn't have the lead guitar on it. 
I have this uh, digital effects generator. I know you're supposed to use stomp boxes and things, but I don't have stomp box money. I have all-in-one digital effects generator money. So I used that thing and found a combination that sounded really close, if not exactly like the uh, Leslie Reverb that was on... Uh, was, it to- was it Tommy Tedesco who played that, that line? I don't know. Probably. I could look it up right now, but I don't feel like it. And that was the best, not just my favorite moment from that night, but my favorite moment from ever performing in front of a crowd of one or more. It just felt so good. And I remember you were telling me about, I I still haven't read it, but you were telling me about how in Pete Townsend's book, he was talking about how when he performs, he is completely in a trance. Mm -hmm. And basically, he is totally within that. He has no knowledge of what's going on in the outside world. Like, for example, in that that time when he punched a cop on stage once, like how he didn't realize he was doing it. It was yeah. a total rea- total reflex. I could totally see where he was going that because I found myself just totally immersed, like not aware of anything else. Just playing this, the, the cheapo uh, Stratocaster Squire 2 that I have that I got for my high school graduation. And I was loving every second of it. I wanted to do it again. Oh, and I have to give a shout out to Dustin Hoffman. Yes, not, yes, Not yes. the actor, not the actor. <laughs> Dustin Hoffman is the name of a very large stuffed giraffe that belongs to our niece. This thing yes. is like probably about four feet tall. We borrowed it from our niece to have at our performance because we just felt it was totally fitting because of the cover. Yes. So we had this stuffed giraffe by the side of our performance space. <laughs> But, but, there's no giraffe on the cover. Yeah, but still. There's a giraffe, I think on some of the marketing materials yeah. in the stores, there was a giraffe. Well, in the, well, in the photo shoot. In the photo shoot, there pro- I think there was. Like, yeah. I think there's a picture of a giraffe, like, stealing Dennis's Fritos. No, that Fritos was a goat. Or something. No, oh, that, that was, was a goat. goat. Oh, okay. But still, it's still a zoo animal. And I think and- it was much bigger than four feet. We were able to fit it in the car. Yeah, the, yeah. The, oh my God. I took a picture of our car when we packed everything. <laughs> we have guitars. We have an ook, bike horn, bell, giraffe. Oh, yeah. And I posted it on Facebook. In fact, I'll put it in the uh, show notes at uh, 2x.fab4it.com. The picture of what you need to pack to perform pet sounds. Well, it's just, I mean... <laughs> Look up on Wikipedia the personnel list on the entry for Pet Sounds. It's huge. Yeah. There's so many different musicians. There's an entire string ensemble. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's basically a wrecking crew honor society. Yeah. And to think we were able to pull it off without even half that. Like, we didn't have any accordion players. We We didn't have people playing those weird mini guitars that are at the beginning of Wouldn't It Be Nice? We didn't have a tannerin. We didn't have a piano with masking tape. You know what we did have instead of the tannerin? Well, we had Bebot. Bebot, yes, the uh, the iPad app. Yeah, Bebot is this adorable little iPad app with that's meant to look very 1960 retro. That has this cute little robot that makes little sounds. You you just basically drag your finger around and it will. And you can choose different types of sounds, but it'll give you a range. You can slide your finger and it'll be like, woo. So we were able to use that on uh, I Just Wasn't Made for These Times. Yeah, we actually sat down and mapped out the marks on yeah. it to know where to put your finger. Well, yeah, because there's there's lines on it. So you can kind of tell like where to be to make a certain sound happen. Yeah. I remember and. you got an applause after you played that. So really, I, we have because I nailed it. So, yeah. I nailed it after rehearsing it for four months. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I mean that did turn out beautifully. Yeah, yeah. There, there was another another performance. I had my chromatic harmonica. I think it was for one of the transitions from either I'm waiting for the day or let's go away for a while. Well, wait. Wouldn't you have used harmonica on? Uh, I know there's an answer. Did I? You I should what, since what part? What part well, then again, that's oh, a that's bass right. Harmonica. Yeah, yeah. You, well, thing is, the chromatic, the the notes on my chromatic harmonica can go pretty low. Oh, okay, not bass low, but low enough to yeah. pass.
and uh, yeah, that that was fun. Yeah, yeah. I th- I played three different guitars and a chromatic harmonica and a bike horn. Yeah, I played a ukulele, bebop, <laughs> the bicycle bell. Yeah. Did you do any hand percussion? No. Okay. And the thing is, we this was for a paying audience too. I mean, we didn't get we didn't, any we money. Didn't get it, yeah. <laughs> like it's for the old town yeah, it was school. Really, yeah, it was like ten or twelve dollars a pop. And I remember when we showed up, I was hearing mutterings, we only got six people in here. What's going on? Then when we stepped out, the whole place was full. <laughs> so I was like, oh thank God. Yeah, it's like on the office when they think yeah, nobody came yeah. to see their Q and A about the documentary and then there's like the lobby was full of people. <laughs> yeah, that's that's pretty close to what it was, actually. <laughs> we did the whole performance of Pet Sounds. And uh, I remember John had the sample of uh, the train and banana and Louie mm-hmm. at the end. So he had yeah. that going through. So we had that at the very, because you can't have Pet Sounds without banana and Louie. No, no. Because they're the pets. They're what it's all about. And again, it's it's just, this is what the old town school does for people that... Here, none of us were professional musicians. Nobody. Well, I wouldn't. Well, okay. Like, I don't think any any of us had a recording contract. Yeah, I mean, one of us knows Darian personally. Though, <laughs> I saw him post pictures of him having lunch with him. I was like, "You bastard!" No, but I mean, I mean, nobody has a recording contract. Yeah, nobody has like full time performing gigs. There's people who do performing different levels of performing couple of people in a couple of different bands but it's including like our friend carrie who was on the previous episode but she still has a day job i mean yeah, well, i'm yeah, talking yeah. i'm talking like musicians union people that's right. what i'm kind yeah, of that's, getting that's at. a good way to put it. i mean we're all pretty much amateur musicians and the old town school still gave us the space to do this and make this happen and have this experience and I know that Kathy was trying to like see if we could get another performance going at another location because we all wanted to do it all over again. And yeah. I would do it in a heartbeat. Yep. But yeah, we finished and then we did a three song encore. I remember we did Little Bird, which I got to sing. <laughs> I didn't play any instruments for that, but I was wearing um, my Surfer Stripe t shirt that you bought for me, the blue and white, yeah. similar to the blue and white one that Brian wore, and a Pendleton shirt. I took off the Pendleton and just hung it over my shoulder while singing Little Bird. I was <laughs> so that we did. I, what we did? Three I, songs. I remember Sail even... on Sailor was the last song we did. Hmm. And I remember John and I kind of trading guitar licks because I was doing the <laughs> part because I didn't know what else to do on that. I don't remember what the other one was. I do have the recording. That, that's something that I was so thrilled to find out because uh, I remember Carrie's husband was going to video the performance, but there was an emergency at the last minute. He couldn't do it. And I found out later that the Old Town School records all of the performances they have mm. unless the artist specifically requests mm. that they don't. Huh. So we were able to get the, uh, the MP3s from it. So yeah. I'm really happy about that. In case we have, didn't mention this, this was in... 2016. Yeah. So it was about a month after the 50th anniversary of the release of Pet Sounds. Yeah. The whole point was it was uh, to celebrate the 50th anniversary. And that was also just a few weeks after that, we went to Los Angeles to see Pet Sounds performed at the Hollywood Bowl. My favorite venue I've ever been to. So that was sucks. Beautiful venue. So that was a very Pet Sounds y time in our lives. Yeah. And going back to how I said that that was my favorite moment ever performing, a lot of us in this group also did a gig that opened for Peter Tork. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And we thought that was going to be the best thing we ever did. <laughs> no. I mean, just doing this Pet Sounds performance was just amazing. Yeah, we, we got to perform. Uh, Peter Tork did a show at the Old Town School, just basically kind of going through his career and talking about different influences, doing some monkey songs, but also just songs he really loved and things he had written but never recorded or released yeah. with the monkeys. And um, so it was kind of like performing and talking. And we were able to um, work out an arrangement where we could go on and play a couple songs before his show. And we even had some people from the 60s psychedelic go-go dance class. Yeah. 
who were dancers on the sides of the stage for us. Yeah, I remember Kathy told us, okay, Peter says he wants go-go dancers. So <laughs> we provided them. Yep. <laughs> because you can do that at the Old Town School. And what was Peter's reaction to us? He didn't hate us. He That's what we were yeah, told. We, we were told he didn't hate it. <laughs> we were yeah and i remember like we had we were using one of the classrooms as as our green room and i walked out with an, another member of our group and just when peter and one of his people walked past us and i thought to myself there's no way i can be cool about this you had met him before though i mean yeah geez. at a meet and greet like yeah, a still. long time ago but still performing pet sounds for a bunch of locals to me, was a much more well, exciting experience. I mean, being than, able to pull it off was that, amazing. That, and this is stuff that we really, really, not that we don't love the monkeys, but this is stuff that we really love and that we were able to do it. And I'm thinking, God, we got to do this again. We got to. There's no way we can just be. Yeah, but, but we six, didn't. Six years <laughs> later, we still haven't found another no. <laughs> uh, opportunity to do it. And I think of, say, Brian's band. They've done this multiple times in 2000, in 2001 a couple of times, <laughs> in 2006, yeah. in 2016, 2017. Yeah, 2018. <laughs> 2002 in England, I think. Yeah. And I don't know if they ever got tired of doing it, but man, I'm thinking well, they are so freaking lucky that this is their job. Well, it's like, I remember something on on a... Beach Boys group, I may have even gone back to like the Usenet days where somebody wondered if Carl Wilson... This guy wondered. If Carl Wilson ever got tired of singing God Only Knows, and the response from somebody was, well, do you ever get tired of hearing it? Excellent point. And, and also just in one of the documentaries, when Carl actually says, you know, Brian wrote God Only Knows, and I got to sing it. Yeah. Not I had to sing it. Not like he told me to sing. He says, I got to sing it. Man. Like it was a privilege for him. Yeah, and all I could think of is this is just the biggest honor ever to get to play this music. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's not, it's one thing to pick up a guitar at home and just kind of play and just kind of find yourself singing God Only Knows or something. But when you're with a whole ensemble and doing the parts and doing the whole thing in order, it's like, good Lord, well, it's what, a great, I, it's a what great, have I done to deserve this? It's a great learning experience. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, I, I was in band in high school, so I know how to read music and I know about counting rests and waiting for your part and yeah. different things like that. But still, this this was above and beyond that. Yeah. And, and going back to what you said before about how we were able to pull it off. A huge reason for that, seriously, is Kathy. Oh, yeah. I She seriously impressed the hell out of me how she was able to stack the harmonies, to dole out the parts, and know exactly where everything was. Mm -hmm. I mean, yeah, I mean, it's not necessarily note perfect exactly as it is on the record, because, of course, we got to accommodate the people that we have. Yeah. But still, I'm looking through that, and it's like, dude, how did you come up with this? How are you able to break this down? And the very first time we had Beach Boys Ensemble in 2013, after I think the second night, I emailed her. And I was like, dude, you're amazing. How were <laughs> yeah. you able to pull this off? So, yes. Well, if you've, I mean, it's just like how when I was in junior high and started with the high school marching band, our band director at that time was kind of his background was in jazz and he was a fantastic arranger mm. and he would tell us like if we wanted to play popular songs as part of our field show or in the stands for marching band he said all you got to do is give me a cassette copy of the song there was a music store in the mall right by you know, right in our town that sold like the piano guitar vocal sheets and like fake books and things like that for like all the current pop hits. He said, just go to Farrington's, get the sheet for me and give me a cassette copy. And he would write out parts for every instrument. And it was good. Like he really, he would put in little riffs and, and kind of things that maybe if you had just bought the set, like you can go to places and buy like a whole set of music written out for marching band. But it's not going to be just like what's on the radio. He made sure. it sound like the radio. And that's a skill that you learn when you go to, you know, when you major in music and study music. 
you know, and it's probably also just if you have the aptitude for that, you can do it. Oh, one thing we forgot to mention, we have to mention. Remember that time you didn't come to class? I don't know, there was a reason you didn't come to class. And Kathy said, hey, where's Lisa tonight? I was like, yeah, she couldn't make it, this, 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 this. And she was doling out parts for uh, I'm waiting for the day. Yes. And she said, Lisa can have this part. She'll like this. <laughs> you didn't think. think no. no. That I could sit around in the <laughs> I said, went, yeah, oh, she will. Oh, you didn't think. And I told you no. and you got all excited about that. I could sit around and watch him take you. Well, that's yeah. an important part. And I yeah. was very honored that she let me do that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, the other thing I remember was Kirk was my singing buddy for a lot of parts. Like we had to do uh, the mic part of I know there's an answer. I know so many people who think they can do it alone. Kirk couldn't go that low. So he's like, I know so many people who think they can do it alone. He had to jump up an octave. So that was that was an interesting experience, but man, that was oh my god! I I'm just gonna stop right now because we've been babbling about this for an hour. Yeah, and. yeah, hours a good time, I think. What do you yeah. think? Okay. Yeah. But uh, should we talk about what we might be talking about in the future or just let them guess? Well, it's up to you. Well, because uh, there's something I, I did want to just throw out there for July. I think what we're going to do is talk about uh, the Beach Boys doing July 4th concerts. A couple of them aired on HBO, etc. Mm-hmm. So if you want to send us your thoughts about those, go right ahead. Uh, our email and social media contacts are in the closing credits that you're about to hear in a couple of minutes. But, uh, coming up uh, also, um, well, you're just going to have to keep listening to find well, out. Well, yeah, especially because I don't have my list in front of me, so I don't remember offhand what yeah, we've discussed. Yeah, we, actually, we actually do plan this stuff to an extent at least, but... Uh, <laughs> Anyway, thank you for joining us uh, with this uh, eavesdropping in our conversation about our memories of performing pet sounds and just learning pet sounds and loving it. Yes. Anyway, uh, bye. Bye. Thank you for listening to the TuneX Podcast. Please leave us a review at Apple Podcasts or iTunes. You can hear us on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Amazon, Google Podcasts, and just about every other provider out there. If TuneX isn't on your favorite provider, please let us know. You can email us at tunexpodcast at gmail.com. Our website, which includes the show notes, is tunex.fab4it.com. Fab4it is spelled F-A-B and then the number four and then I-T. Feel free to connect with us on social media. TuneX is on Facebook, and we're also on Instagram and Twitter, both under the handle of TuneX Podcast. Our opening and closing theme, Melody 10, was written and performed by Scattered Frog. All other music and sounds used in this episode remain the properties of their respective copyright holders and are used for the purposes of commentary and review. No infringement is intended. We'll talk to you next time, friends. Until then, don't Don't back back down down from from that that wave. wave.
So if somebody wants to get up and dance, do it. <laughs> Anybody knows? Knows some go-go. The Beach okay. Boys had a few hits, by the way. <laughs> this is one of them. We will only play one of them. <laughs> Here it is. <laughs> We're gonna do this one in A flat. I had to fix a lot of things this morning. Just a little bit with a flat everybody. That's all we learned. Those are all the songs we learned. We don't know anymore. Thank you so much for coming out. Thanks, Dan. Thanks, volunteers. Thanks, Old Town School. Thank you, Kathy Norton, who, by the way, arranged all of these songs in her ample spare time. <laughs> thank you. Thank you, Kathy. Oh, thank you, everybody. Thank you, everybody. Thank you all for coming. Thanks, everybody.